the bread and the wine will be taken at specific moments during the service. So, so please don't eat or drink until you're instructed to, until we do together. And then, and then there's the lunch, the, the chicken, the mashed potatoes, the veggies, and all that other good stuff. Now, though we invite everyone to partake in the lunch, we'd ask that only those who have believed in Jesus and have been baptized as believers share in the communion elements. Now, if you have questions about this, we'll explain this uh, in, in the message this morning about why, why it's necessary to be baptized before taking the elements of communion and baptized as a believer. So that would be different from being baptized as an infant. Now, finally, the cup and, a, and the bread are very intentionally this morning a shared cup and a shared bread. The bread has to be broken in order to partake. The cup is a cup that uh, we've tried as, as best we can to provide one cup per household, ideally, but it's actually a cup that we share together. Now, there's a reason that's the case. Let me read the text that we'll be looking at this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. If you have your Bible, you can open up to that. Uh, if you don't have space on your table and you don't want to open, open up your Bible, just follow along. Uh, also, if you're taking notes this morning, good on you for taking notes and figuring out how to do that <laughs> sitting at that table. But listen, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the Apostle Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The, the, the word participate is the Greek word koinonia. I don't usually like to say the actual Greek words because it makes, it makes preachers sound pretentious, but I'm going to say it this morning. Koinonia. It's a word that suggests community. It's, it's translated here as participation, but, but it's translated other places in the, New, in the New Testament as fellowship. It suggests community. It suggests that there is a sharing something together in common. And we'll see in just a moment that through the Lord's table, we share in the same salvation through the same Savior and share in the same benefits together. So we symbolically share in the same bread and the same cup. That's why we do it that way. Now, before we go any further, again, I said at the front end of this service, our aim is to help you to understand this, this wonderful gift that we've been given in the Lord's table and, and why it's a benefit. But, but let me help to define something a little bit behind that. Let me, let me, let me help to define what is a sacrament. What is a sacrament? That there are two sacraments that the New Testament records that, that, that Jesus gave for his New Testament church. Those are the only two sacraments that the Bible ordains. And those two sacraments are baptism and communion. Baptism and communion. There, there, are, there are three parts of a sacrament. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. But the first part to understand what a sacrament is, is that it's a visible sign. Okay? In baptism, you feel yourself go under the water and come up again, representing being buried with Christ in his, in his death and burial and being raised with him in his 
resurrection. It's a visible, tangible sign. In the Lord's table, you see, you taste, you touch, you even smell the elements. These are symbols pointing to a much, much greater reality, a reality that we're intended to think about and to grasp, to comprehend, and, and to marvel at. That's what we're seeking to do today. Bruce, Bruce Milne uh, defines sacrament as an outward sign of an inward grace. It's a very helpful handle. Edmund Clowney says a sacrament is a sign of participation in saving grace. Augustine, many hundreds of years ago, said they are visible words of God. So there's this visible element to them. That's the first part of a sacrament. The second part is, is that it's an activity ordained by God. It's important to note that God didn't give these sacraments to us as optional benefits to the Christian life, like, like the benefits package that your employer offers you. With, with your employer benefits package, you can, you can take any part of it that you want, and you can not take any part of it that you want. 401k, if it's offered, uh, your, your health benefits, dental, vision, you can sort of pick and choose. That's not how the sacraments work. These are ordained. These are commanded by God for anyone who has been united to Christ by faith. And if God ordained and commanded them, then it also means that we need to practice them rightly. There is a right way and there are wrong ways. So it's important that we understand what these are and what they mean and how they function in the lives of believers. So it's a visible sign. It's an activity ordained by God. And thirdly, it's a gracious benefit to the believer. That's where we're going to really hone down, on, hone down in this morning. In other words, it's a means of grace. These sacraments are a means of grace. So, let me ask this morning, in what way is communion a means of grace? What is the benefit of the Lord's table? This is what so many struggle to really experientially understand. What is the benefit of the Lord's table? We've already said it. It's participation. Let me read 1 Corinthians 10, 16 one more time. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, if you, if you would, if you don't mind, would you, would you pray with me and just let's ask the Lord together to, to teach us to administer this means of grace in such a way that it is effective for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this meal today, this meal that, that is no physical, no mere physical nourishment, but some spiritual nourishment from your hand that we might receive every benefit that you intended us to receive through it, that the grace that you offer through your Son by the, by the effectiveness of your Spirit would actually be administered, experienced. Would our eyes be turned back to Christ? Would we appreciate what He's done for us and who He is and the gift that your Son is and forevermore will be to those who have believed? It's in His name we pray together. For the rest of this, this multiple-part sermon, 
two, two main points. So the first point before we actually take, uh, before we eat lunch together, is this. It's participation in Jesus. And the second part, after we eat lunch together, participation in God's household. That's what, that's what we mean, and that's what Paul means when he says participation. The first part is participation in Jesus. Secondly, participation in God's household. So participation in Jesus. So we're going to go right now. A, a, a sacrament is never meaningful apart from our understanding of it by faith. Simply participating in the sacraments without comprehending them, it, it, it means nothing. Paul says in the chapter, chapter later in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, he says to the Corinthian church, when you come together, because you do it wrongly, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So just going through the motions doesn't make it meaningful. It's when we understand it and see what it is and what it means that it takes on significance and meaning. So when we understand that the cup signifies the blood of Jesus that was spilled in place of sinners to wash away the sins of all who believe in him, and when we, when we understand that the bread signifies the body of Jesus, that the physical person who lived a perfect life before God the Father, the physical person which was broken by thorn and fist and nail and whip, and spear, that physical person which was broken, when we understand the bread to represent that, when we understand the blood to represent that, or the, the cup to represent that blood, when we understand the, the work accomplished by that spilled blood and broken body is finished work. When we understand that, that what he accomplished is finished when we understand that they represent these things, when we eat and drink, we are quite literally participating in the finished work that they represent. In this meal, we need to be very clear, Jesus is not being re-sacrificed. It is finished. What he has accomplished is finished and, and forever effectual for those who believe in him. Also, Jesus is not physically present with these elements in any way. The bread has not been, been physically transformed into the flesh of Christ. Neither has the cup been physically transformed into actual blood. Neither is he physically present in, around, or under these elements. But he is spiritually present. And in a very significant way. He is present by His Spirit in a unique way to share Himself and to share the benefits of His sacrifice. He is spiritually present to share Himself and His benefits. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, listen to this. This is so well put. It's why they took months and years to, to formalize this. The, the, the body and blood of Christ are spiritually as present to the faith of believers as the elements are to their outward senses. Let me say that again. The body and blood of Christ are spiritually as present to the faith of believers as the elements are to their outward senses. See, participation in the elements of the bread and the cup, they uniquely strengthen our faith. 
Louis Burkhoff says, they visibly represent and deepen our consciousness of the spiritual blessings of our union with Christ, of the washing away of our sins, and of our participation of the life that is in Christ. That they, they visibly represent and deepen our consciousness of those things of the benefits that have been attained by Jesus' finished work on the cross. It's it's the participation in the benefits of Christ reminding us that what he offered in his cross is better than anything that this world offers. When we come to the Lord's table, we are being reminded that what we have in Christ is so much better than anything the world offers. Listen, as we journey through the Christian life, idols beckon for our worship. Worldly pleasures call out with enticing voices, saying, come, come experience my benefits. Your heart suggests again and again and again, and you know this to be true, that selfish living is the most beneficial kind of living. And these enticements engage our senses, don't they? They're not merely spiritual enticements. The enticements of selfish and worldly living are experienced by tasting and smelling and touching and hearing and feeling. Hearing, tasting, touching, smelling, and feeling their benefits, their deadly benefits. But friends, the body and blood of Christ achieved benefits that are so much greater. They achieved union with Him. He is the greatest gift of the universe that God the Father, our triune God, has ever given, ever had to offer. Through His broken body and spilled blood, Jesus purchased for those who believe in Him salvation from from the power and the penalty and ultimately the presence of sin. He purchased new life, literal spiritual rebirth, and eternal life at that. He purchased Peace that surpasses understanding, God's Word says. Through through Him, God no longer looks on you as judge, but as Father with everlasting love. We've been given His Spirit to indwell us, to to guide us, to, to help us, to convict us, to preserve us, to assure us. We've been given the only source of true and lasting joy and contentment. The only source. Through his body and blood, the image of God has been restored in us. With minds that can now discern truth from error, that can discern right from wrong as God has defined it. Through his body and blood, we now have the strength to not only know that, but then to live lives according to that by his Spirit. And through the Lord's table, friends, Jesus engages our senses with the benefits of his broken body and his spilled blood. And he says, they are better. They are better. We see, we taste, we smell, we touch 
the elements, reminding us that the benefits of his cross are as real as the bread and the cup in our hands. When, it, when aviation was in its infancy in the early 1920s, before radio communication existed in, in, in uh, distance format transportation, and planes began to fly further and further and further to make deliveries and began to fly across the country, there was no advanced technological equipment to guide these pilots. And so flying thousands of feet up in the air, even with a compass, they got lost all the time. Planes were getting lost left and right. So the United States government came up with a solution to this that was ingenious. They created giant yellow concrete arrows. Did you know this? That a lot of them still exist in the Midwest today. These huge, 70-foot-long, giant, concrete yellow arrows so that pilots flying as high as 10,000 feet could look down and see these arrows to guide them in the direction they needed to go. Friends, communion is a giant yellow concrete arrow in the Christian life. In our daily lives, we get lost. We, we lose the center of what it means to be the church. We, we, lose, we lose our sense of what the Christian life is all about. We get lost in the swirling melee of idolatry and worldliness. You feel disoriented about what the Christian life is really about. Is, is it about following God's commands and earning salvation with Him? Is it about repenting enough, going to church enough? Is, is it about loving your neighbor first? Is it, is it about the things we do? Is it about making sure that we repent always because that's the only way that we're going to be forgiven? No. Communion stands as a giant yellow concrete arrow pointing us to Christ every time. Every time you've strayed into worldliness or selfishness. Every time that happens, we come to church and we take communion together. This giant yellow arrow that points our hearts, our tongues, our ears, and our minds back into Christ. Participating in his finished work. It's a means of grace that grounds your very life back into the gospel of Jesus. It's a means of grace that firmly implants you back into the benefits that you received when you first believed. Friends, this is a means of grace that we can't afford to just take mechanically. It is too precious. It is too sweet a gift from our Savior, Jesus Christ. His benefits, namely Him, is too great a treasure to go chasing after the treasures of this world and forsaking him so we come back to the table and participate once again in the body and blood of his cross, his finished work, which attained every benefit of his salvation. So right now, we're going to take the bread together. If somebody near you, whoever's nearest the basket would grab the bread from the basket if you are a believer, if you've been baptized as a believer, go ahead and tear off a piece of that bread, pass it around. Let's together 
with this bread. Ground our lives and our hearts. Receive the means of grace that this is. And together, take the bread. All right. If I could have your attention again. It was so sweet sitting at the table talking to you all. Isn't it, isn't it great to, to have this fellowship together? And what, what is really biblical fellowship that's grounded in our shared confession of Christ as the Lord of our lives? And that's, that's actually what we're going to be talking about here in just a moment. But once again, kiddos, thanks for, thanks for sitting in your seats. Um, really, really appreciate you guys. And thanks again to everybody who, who brought food. I think this was the best culinary quality of any communion meal we've ever had. This is fantastic. And, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jim, you, you were the chicken griller, weren't you? The grill master. So thank you, Jim. Well, I want to dig in before, before we close and before we're headed on our way. I want to dig into the, the second way that this meal is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. And, th- and this is one that involves, obviously, us. So to recap, like, like a giant yellow arrow pointing us on our way into Christ, communion points our hearts, our tongues, our ears, our eyes, and our minds back into Christ. It's a participation in His finished work, but that's not where the benefits end. This participation, this participation, this is, this is important. This participation is participation in the household of God. It's a participation in the household of God. We, we say every Sunday that we actually do take communion, and, and our principle for when we take communion is that we take it more often than not. Uh, we don't take it every week. We don't take it every month. We don't take it every two weeks. It's not so rote. But, but we take it in such a way when, when we're able to as a church, but in such a way that it's more often than not. And when we do take it together, we say every time, we take the Lord's table together on purpose. We take it together on purpose. It's why we would, we would say it's not appropriate to take communion at, at, at a wedding between just husband and, and wife. It's, it wouldn't be appropriate to take communion alone. The reason for this is because while the Lord's table is a picture of where grace comes from, it's also a visible picture of who we share that grace with. And that is a significant element of the communion meal. It's not just a picture of where grace comes from, it's a picture of who we share that grace with. The word translated participation, once again, is the word koinonia, which again is translated as fellowship in other parts of the Bible. The Bible speaks of Christians having fellowship with two groups. The first group that Christians have fellowship with is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with God through Christ, 1 John 1.3. But 1 John 1.3 also says there's another group with whom we share fellowship. We share fellowship with other Christians, with one another. We, we, we have 
Communion is an active participation in the fellowship that we have with God through Christ. But communication or communion is an active participation in our fellowship with one another. All others who have confessed Jesus Christ by faith as Lord and Savior. Notice, if you have your Bibles open, not many of you do, but listen then. Listen then to the last clause of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It's important that we hear this again. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? There's a literal and a figurative sense in play here. We're, to, we're participating in the spiritual benefit achieved through the physical breaking of Jesus' body. Right, which was, which was what, that was the last point before we ate lunch. We're participating in the benefit of the physical breaking of, of Jesus' body once for all. But two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the same author of this text says, Paul says, but you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You, the church. The local church. So when Paul says, is, is not this participation in the body of Christ? That's intended in both senses. We, we, are, we are participating one with another in the benefits that we have shared in Christ. What, what, what makes us brothers and sisters, what makes us a community. And Paul is saying here that as you take the bread and the cup, you are participating in that. As we look around, friends, while we take the bread and the cup, we see our brothers and sisters. We see our family in Christ. And we're reminded with all of our senses that through Christ, this is where we still belong. We are reminded as we take those elements together that this is where we still belong. This community, this body, through Christ, is where I still have a place, by His grace. Galatians 6.10 describes the church also, so Paul describes it as, as a body, but he describes it in Galatians 6.10 as the household of faith. The church is comprised of men and women who have been adopted as sons and daughters into the household of the living God. And listen, so here's where baptism comes in. Okay, If you had questions about, well, why do you have to be baptized before you can take communion? Listen, in baptism we say, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, I am publicly declaring by faith in Jesus that I belong to the household of God. And every time we take communion, we're reminded that through Christ, we still have a seat at the table. So, baptism is, is a symbolic doorway into the home. It doesn't grant you access into the household. Only Jesus does. Only God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ grants you access into the household. But, baptism is where you say, I'm going in. I'm identifying with this household as my family. These are the people that I share fellowship with in Christ by his finished work. Then communion is a statement where we say, 
I have a seat at the table within this household. This is my seat at this table. And that's why baptism must precede communion. Again, in baptism we say, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, I'm publicly declaring by faith in Jesus that I belong to the household of God. And the Lord's table we say, on the basis of the body and blood of Jesus, I still belong to the household of God. Do you see how these two sacraments work in tandem with one another? Baptism is where I say, I belong to the household of God in Christ. Communion, we say, I still belong here. Staking my claim on Christ still. And no matter, no matter how I've fallen, no matter how I've strayed, no matter how I've lost my way, I lay my claim in Christ as he's laid his claim on me. And I still belong here. It would not do to take communion without being baptized. Now, again, before we close, I have three simple points of application. First, if you didn't take communion today because you haven't been baptized as a believer, believer, whether you, you were baptized as an infant or whether you haven't been baptized at all, we don't want you to despair that you can't take communion. Rather, if you have actually believed in Jesus, then I have good news for you. The Bible says you should go and be baptized. That, that is the logical next step for anyone who has believed in Jesus. Actually, so logical is it that in the New Testament, anybody who believes the, the immediate, like same day next step is they go and be baptized. You should be baptized. Publicly declare that you belong to the household of God and then take communion as a reminder that you still have a seat at the table. Come and talk to one of the pastors. Talk to, talk to Jeff or myself. We, we will be having a, a baptism service in about a month. We, we'd love to celebrate your public declaration of faith in Christ. Secondly, have you been baptized as a believer? And have you ever doubted your salvation? Or maybe you were baptized as a believer and you look back on your baptism and for whatever reason you think it's invalid. That was the case with me. I was, I was baptized as, as a teenager. I was 17 years old. I was baptized in, in Table Rock Lake in Missouri at a summer camp. And then for the next couple of years, I actually lived a pretty licentious life. I, I, I strayed pretty hard. And so, 10 years down the road, I thought, gosh, especially as I'm in the process of becoming a pastor, was my baptism legit? Do I need to get rebaptized? If that's you, and I, I, would, I would guess that that's probably a fair amount of you. This is something that, as a pastor, I've dealt with with a lot of people who question the validity of their baptism. But listen, the answer isn't to get rebaptized. The answer is to sit at the Lord's table. God grants the grace of assurance through communion as you fellowship with Christ and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He assures you through the elements that you are his child forevermore. He assures you through the elements that you still have a seat at the table and so long as he is your confession, so long as he is your confidence, so long as he is the one you place your faith in, You have a seat at the table forever. 
There is a particular grace of assurance that the Lord gives through the Lord's Supper. That's one of those benefits that, that we so infrequently see in communion. But communion is where we, we are re-engaged with where our confidence lies. It's in Jesus that you belong to him and he belongs to you forevermore. We'll sing that in just a second. Thirdly, and finally, when you come to the table, that, that table is a pure place. When you come to the table, get rid of anything that does not belong at the table. And what I'm talking about here is, is any unconfessed sin or any disunity with the church. Friends, the, the beauty of communion, or at least one element of the beauty, is that if our seat at the table were based on anything other than the body and blood of Christ, that very sin that we bring to the table would disqualify us from the table. We would be ejected from the household of God if our seat at the table was based on anything than the body, of blood of, body and blood of Christ. But because it is based on that, then we come to the table and we bring our sin, we bring our disunity, and we confess it. And we receive assurance in these symbolic elements of the bread and the cup that what they symbolize is enough to forgive me of that sin, to cleanse me of that, and to assure me that I still have a seat at this table. So it is necessary when we come to the Lord's table <laughs> to bring it to the table and to confess and to repent. So actually, we're going to do that right now, before we take the cup. And we're going to take the cup in just a moment, so, so get ready for that. But let's just take a moment of, of silence, or as close to silence as we can get. <laughs> and and sit in the quietness of your own heart, engage with God. Bring, bring any unconfessed sin, any, any disunity, any bitterness that you hold against another in your heart, confess it to Him. Ask for His forgiveness. Repent and ask for the Spirit to work. Let's do that right now. All right, wherever you sit, whoever's closest to the, to the glass of wine, go ahead and take the, the cover off that. This cup that we hold, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? Re-inserting our confidence in our lives into His finished work. Let's together take the cup.
Would you join me in a word of prayer of thanksgiving? And Kevin, you can, Kevin Fernando, you can, you can come on back up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for, we thank you for the Lord's table. We thank you that you have commanded us, not only just given this, the option to take it often before he comes, but you've commanded us to do so that we might not be deprived of a particular means of grace that you've given to us. We thank you that you've given us this giant concrete arrow pointing us back into Christ. Lord, we thank you that you've given us a reminder that we still have a seat at the table in the household of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.